Hello and welcome to this special edition of Black Sheep Podcast. I am Jeffrey, your host, and HIV stops with me, Spokesmile. In this special edition of Black Sheep Podcast, I don't share my story particularly, but rather I turn the microphone to my community. It was brought to my attention that my story is not that uncommon. It is not that special. Or is it? Uncommon? It is not, absolutely. But special? It is absolutely. Just like the story of every single black and LGBTQ individual who has been born and raised in America. And not because it is uniquely different one from the other, but rather because of how we have embraced those experiences and found our authentic queer black selves and embraced that individual. As we all know, many don't even survive adolescence and take their own lives. So let this be a reminder to all of us that we're more alike than different and anyone who has made it this far has done a hell of a great job being black and LGBTQ in America. That being said, enough of my preaching. Please enjoy another not so common black LGBTQ present history story. I believe your life has been a fairy tale. From the day that I met you, we connected and we spoke about a lot of different things and it just gave me a glimpse of the depth of your experiences. So I like fairy tales. So we're gonna start at the beginning. Tell me about Lamia. Four years old, when you when you start to know, um, differentiate things, you know, this is a table, this is um, a boy, this is a girl, this is, you know, everything now has a label, has a name. <laughs> you are speaking. Okay. Well, hello everyone, my name is Lamia, and I started out as a young lady, um, born and raised in New York, the Bronx to be exact, um, born into a Christian household, a mother and father that loved the Lord, and growing up for me was really unique, um, and also a blessing. I do say that as being a person of color, that I did have um, a sense of privilege at a young age, um, and when I say that, that's because I was afforded to have a mother and a father in the home. Uh, my parents are still married today. I think they've been married about 30 years now, almost 40. So that's a blessing to have, especially being a person of color um, in New York City and having parents that are um, born in the 50s, you know. Um, in 1991, to be exact, my father relocated us to Virginia Beach, Virginia. And that's why I say that I was able to see the privilege that I had because now we was in a, in a state in a city that afforded us to get the best education that we can get and we didn't have to really worry about the inner city lacking, um, lack thereof and when it comes to education. Although, prior to moving to Virginia, I was, um, I did go to a school called Benjamin Franklin and that's located in Manhattan and I was in top second grade and that's like, I was about to get skipped so I was in an advanced second grade. So when I moved to Virginia, um, I was able to no, transition pretty easy. Well, um, I, I, before you continue much further, because I want to touch upon a few things. Along the lines of recognizing things and things having a name, 
we also start to see people and their races and their color. When did Lamia first recognize that she was black? I recognized I was black from a very young age. My uh, my grandmother was an educator. Uh, my mother and father both were college educated, are college educated, she's been in store life. Yes. And so we was always taught, I was brought up in an affirming household. And my mother made it very clear from a young age that, you know, we were different because of the color of our skin. And because of that, that when we go outside of the house, we had to present ourselves in a certain way in order to get ahead in life. And my mother didn't allow us to deter from that. So we was very disciplined on how to carry yourself, how to maneuver, how to maneuver through um, a white society. So um, did you ever feel resentful? Like, why do I have to act white? Did your family expect more from you than from the average person? Did you ever resent that? Um, they never, I wouldn't say they expected more. We were just raised up in a, in a certain type of way. And, and, and the, I'm at least baby, so in the 80s, we really didn't question our parents. We were children, we were to be seen and not heard. And so when our parents <laughs> taught us, we took to that, you know, and we just removed, we, we lived our life quietly, you know. Um, it was very disciplined, very reserved, and then being being brought up in church as well, that added a different element. But as it relates to race, you know, I never felt uncomfortable because I was always surrounded once we moved to Virginia, um, surrounded by white kids, you know. Um, although we lived in a black neighborhood, the schools that we went to were predominantly um, white. Because yes. um, in Virginia, it's a military town, so, you know, it was a mixture, but it was more white then minorities and so I was I had white friends and I had black friends so color was never an issue for me. I didn't experience um color with I didn't start to look at color difference until actually until I became an adult living in New York. Oh wow. Because you went to a predominantly um white school you okay. never had your friends from the neighborhood say, Oh, she's talking white <laughs> Were you ever criticized for speaking more properly? Um, <laughs> because I, I know kids can be bad. <laughs> I was criticized, but it was done in a joking way because with stage, who was my Hail Mary, was because I was brought up in church. And so, you know, I was a preacher girl. And so, you know, society or my, my circle always had an expectation, you know. So, if I tried to use slang, that's when they joked me. Oh, you sound crazy. Don't talk like that, girl. You know you don't talk like that. You don't cut. You know, you know. live in the same apartment for the last 50 years and they never left their little town you had the, the privilege you were among the few that had the privilege you move out of state to another state so you got to experience more of a cultural diversity how has that impacted you or empowered you throughout your life 
having, you know, the dynamic of living in an urban area and living in a suburban area? The difference between that is because, um, excuse me, the difference in that for me was growing up in, in Virginia, which is central, but people in New York would say the South, you know, um, from an early age in school, we were taught um, conflict resolution. And so being in an environment that's not compacted, you know, I lived in apartment complex, however, it wasn't like thousands of people, the apartment complex was like 50 people, you know, 50 families, very small, but you know, cute. Um, the environment was just different, and so um, I had the opportunity to just go through, to navigate through life differently, and being in a military town, the standard of living was just, was just higher. It was always, it was full of culture, but it was very diverse, and like I said, everyone there, for the most part, um, we were go-getters, and we really supported each other. It was family with everything, community with everything. And that's how I was able to externalize, um, because we, it wasn't a black or white thing or a poor rich thing. Of course, you had your, you know, your school bullies or your neighborhood bullies, but like I said, it was all done in love, because at the end of the day, we were still all break bread together, we are still all helping help each other out. It was just a different time in the 90s, and, you know, when I was going to school and I was younger, Virginia, um, I did relocate back to New York when I turned 21, so we'll talk about that later on. But no, yeah, we're going to get there. <laughs> no, no, because, yeah, I know, no, you can go on, trust me. I just want to show the world there are so many of you running around, many in the shadows that uh, are not even, you know, they're living their lives. They've gone over the tragedies, they've worked on themselves, and they've built themselves back up, you know. They, we, they went through the trauma, and all of our stories are very similar. So that's, that being said, and this is why I tell you, it is a fairy tale. <laughs> and trust me, there's many parts to your fairy tale. Oh, yes, I must say it's a fairy tale, and I've gotten everything that I wanted. Um, <laughs> I was like to this point, but that's because I also applied myself to get these these fruits that I'm now um, that are now manifesting in my life. And so but as I was also raised also raised to over, you know, sow seeds and not just sow seeds, just to sow it, but make sure you sow it in fertile ground. As a church background, my family was very family orientated and when I say that it was like it was the community home. Um, and so we had all the young men and young women um, coming to our homes for tutoring my father was a bachelor, a legendary basketball coach in the Hampton Roads area for about 10 years. My mother took all the girls and she was a, um, a seamstress and so she taught them sewing and um, etiquette and how to be a woman. So we was like the, the beacon of light in our community. Um, and so I was able to carry that same passion, compassion, same drive in my adulthood, um, which helped me to be who I am today. Yeah, um, no, no, that, I, I, I love this. I love all of this. You, you have a great, solid foundation with which you now of course now you have to now comes the challenging part when Lamia discovered her identity in the LGBTQ community let's go into how that was for you personally before you even started to disclose that to anyone but you internally how did that feel what was going through your mind uh, what was going through my mind um, as I progressed in life and became a teenager to a young adult, and then I began to um, have to be faced with my gender identity one and my sexual orientation, um, if I must say, 
that part of my life was very, very sad. Um, in my household, we didn't talk about homosexuality. We didn't talk about sex. We never had those conversations because our life was just so filled with church and being productive, school, yeah. church, and then, you know, community. Um, and that lasted all the way until I left the home. And even after my family still remained very active. So, because we have a saying, I don't mind if that was playground. So, we was always busy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you need to get down and dirty to go help the people. That's the only way to do it. So when me and my sister, you know, because I have a sister, I'm the oldest of the two. When me and my sister did, you know, have our challenges as we were um, transitioning from teenage to young adulthood and we began to have our transgressions, you know, our parents were still there very supportive of us as they have been because we have been such good children. Um, you were saying that um, it went really fast when you were transitioning from, you know, you started to discover your sexuality, that, you know, when puberty hits, everything just starts to, everything starts to change in that moment. So then your mindset, you know, we start to develop our mind and our identity because our sex is part of our identity. As much as people don't want to think about it, but we are sexual beings. So how was that? Was that challenging? Was that difficult? Or was that something you didn't think about? No, it wasn't challenging for me. <laughs> because I, I've always been bisexual. Um, and what we were saying now is pansexual from a very young age. Um, growing up in church, you know, the Bible depicts certain characters in the Bible, how, you know, you're born with certain thoughts in your flesh. And I think that sexual deviance was a, <laughs> something that I was born with. Because I, I can recall being sexually active, not intercourse, but, you know, being, you know, um, Playing houses, you know, people in the community and all that stuff from a very young age. Yes. And so when I transitioned to being an adult after puberty and all that stuff, I still had an attraction for male and female. Um, but once again, because of the community and the support that I had, there was no need to express those outwardly yeah. because people just already, they already knew and saw. And we just had a saying, it's not what you are, but it's how, it's how you carry yourself and how you maneuver, you know, and be the best. If you want to be a queen, be the best queen that you can be. Um, that's what my parents actually told me when I came out as being bisexual and also when I came out um, letting them know that I was trans, a woman of trans experience. And um, for them, it was, you know, uh, it was challenging for them, but because of the respect that I had, I left home um, and moved to New York, and so that's where, you know, my, I, get, I think I would say that's where the challenges began, because now I was out, I was 21 years old, on my own, mm -hmm. uh, embracing this new identity in a, in, a, in a state that I had left when I was a child, and not only transitioning, but being also diagnosed with HIV, and uh, so I had all that coming at me at one time, but what I didn't know is that everything that I was going through was for a purpose um, and for a reason, and it was going to be a testimony, and my, my what seems to be a tragedy, was going to be a key to someone else's destiny. Um, and that's how it maneuvered through life up until present day. So i guess like you said i guess it is a fairy tale because i really don't have any regrets or yeah uh, well you know you have to go through those <laughs> Such is life. I wanted this. You know, I wanted to be have a life that um a, a life of purpose. You, yeah. I always wanted to have a legacy. I didn't want my living. So also something like that we say in a Christian um, black church is my living in vain. And you don't want your living to be in vain. And so life is about sowing seeds and helping other people. And God is love. And is sharing love 
for that to be manifested in many ways. And so allowing your life to be that sacrificial lamb so that others may, you know, get access to the enlightenment and get access to eternal, to eternity, whatever that looks like to them, um, that's just a blessing to be. So to be a servant of the most high, um, that's, you know, everything that comes with life, that's what comes with it, and I'm okay with that. When I first met you, you were so authentic to yourself. You were grounded and rooted in yourself. This past year that we were all shaken up, everyone's, everything was turned upside down. You were one of the people that I always looked to that was calm, centered, and collected. This pandemic, nothing that was happening, you know, yes, you felt something. It, you express your emotions about how you felt about the different things, Black Lives Matter, um, everything along those lines, but yet you yourself, your Lamia, was never shaken. I'm going to let you speak and give our LGBTQ Black people your message to them on how, how they can stand like you. I mean, if I'm going to stand next to anyone, it's going to be Lamia in a, in a tornado because that rock is not going anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's not going anywhere. I know I will be fine. So what advice and what rituals do you have out? Whatever you want to tell them, please share with them because having them see that they, there is there are people who are living these wonderful lives despite all the challenges and um, you were diagnosed with HIV, our community is heavily impacted the numbers keep going up and so touch up on whatever you like is your story is your fairy tale <laughs> let me uh... okay um that's just three months coming up you know my message um that i'd like to share with the community is that you are loved that you are someone somebody you matter your life matters and that we are living in a space and time that it's important that we affirm ourselves daily Black is beautiful, mulatto is beautiful, um, diversity is beautiful, disability is beautiful. And I think I've been able to be successful because as I stated earlier, I allowed myself to be a vessel. And that's, you know, denying the flesh being self selfless uh, for a greater cause. And it's funny that you said, you know, I always appear to be strong, but that's because I've surrendered all. Greater is he that's in me than he does in the world. And I just have this fortitude knowing that everything has a purpose, everything has a reason. And as I go through life, I want to, I always ask myself this question, and this is the question that I want to ask to the community, I want to pose to the community. And that is, what is it that I can do today to make, um, to make tomorrow better? And how do I fit in the puzzle? Because we all have a purpose. And I, I understood a long time ago that we're all inter intertwined, we're all connected. Um, until we, as a human race, understand that we're going to continue to see um, disparities. We're going to continue. We're going to continue to see these disparities. We're going to continue continue to see lack thereof in certain communities. Um, and we have to really take back control of the narrative. And that's another thing. Don't be afraid of who you are. And if you're gonna, if you wanna stand for something, stand for who you are and be authentic in yourself. And I know people say, well, you seem like you have it all together, it's easy for you. No, it's not easy. But over time, that's how you become fortified. That's how you become strong. That's how you become resilient. And that's, and that's by not wavering to the left or to the right, 
on your conviction. And as long as you operate out of love and passion, you know, you're going to be okay. And that's the fact. You know, I can guarantee that, that you're going to be okay. And know that joy will be okay with Grandpa. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Let's yeah, this consumed by our duties in that campaign and I wanted to have this opportunity so that people get to see the Mia that I met when we bonded over that weekend and you just blew me away it was just like the conversations we had the empowerment I mean you gave me so much energy I was like radiating I, you know um, normally I'm always giving other people energy for the first time in my life, you gave me, you, it was like one of the first few people in the world that was giving me energy. And you weren't looking depleted. It's like, you know how to give it and still protect your own. So you give from where your cup is running over and you have so much light and so much beauty. And I want to say thank you. And to everyone who's listening, thank you for, Allow me to introduce to you these four individuals that are magical. They all have a different story. Lamia, you are a fairy tale come true. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you, want, if you all want to continue to follow me, please feel free to visit www.thehouseofarco.org. Um, you can follow our journey. Um, and we invite you into the work that we're doing. And to all those that are HIV positive and to my news, I diagnose HIV positive people, I want to let you know that it's going to be okay. And the key to longevity is self-advocacy. So if you need help, please don't be afraid to visit www.hivstopwithme.org to find out resources in your area and testing locations as well as counseling. Um, we are in this together and we are stronger together and we will all make it to the other side together together. That's the only way. Thank you. You're welcome. Once again, 
Please be kind to one another. We're here to learn from each other and to provide loving support to one another. Thank you for listening to Black Sheep Podcast. For more information about HIV, HIV prevention, or anything related with health and wellness, please visit our website, hivstopswithme.org. Once again, hivstopswithme.org. Let's heal ourselves and heal each other. Because I refuse to believe that hurt people hurt. Hurt people can choose to heal others and in the process heal themselves. Thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sheep Podcast.